what I want to talk about today is if I was going to only have one topic to speak about for the rest of my life, this would be the topic. And so it is forgiveness and, and forgiveness within its context um, entails repentance as well because even if you get forgiven though, that, though you didn't repent, you don't get free if you can't acknowledge, well, I've done the wrong thing. So um, forgiveness is a really big deal to me. I, I believe honestly that the Christian church, the effectiveness of Christians and of the Christian church pivots around the degree to which we understand the issues to do with forgiveness. So I'm going to pray and then I'm going to tell you a story. Father, in the name of Jesus, I, I do ask you, Lord, that you would, you would break through the mindsets that we have, Lord, that you would break through those concreted places that have become so strong and we don't even know that we haven't forgiven, that you would break through those places where we've resisted your call to say we're sorry. Lord, that you would move in us in revelation, that we would really, really get it in a way that lasts us because you're the great forgiver. And Lord, you, you give your character to us. And so, Father, I pray that there will be an outpouring in our heart of understanding that can change our lives and change the lives of the people around us in Jesus' name. I, I understand that um, mindsets often, you know, if you've been done wrong by uh, a friend or, you know, by your family or by your teachers or by a partner that you used to have or whatever, that actually it can become very, you know, it can and sort of can be set in us. You might get over it, but it can be set in us. And... Once it sets in, you know what? It ossifies. And the word ossify means it be gradually becomes cartilage and then it becomes like bone. It becomes so strong. And then, and then often we find ourselves with mindsets that are like set in concrete that stay with us all the days of our lives without us even realising that we're carrying big concrete blocks around inside us. So I found this book a number of years, a lot of years ago, and um, it was on the children's pile in a Christian conference and it was one of those card books, you know, the card books that have got like six pages in them or four pages in them. And the thing about it was that it was in Spanish and I can't read Spanish, but I could read the pictures. And so therefore I decided to write a story about that book. I can't acknowledge the, um, the, the original person, but I'm acknowledging them now as best as I can. So, okay, sit back. We're going to read a story. Once upon a time, a man named Norman was on his way home from visiting friends. He was thinking about their time together and he wasn't paying too much attention to where he was going. So he stumbled over something soft laying in the grass. Instantly, the thing began to sob. <laughs> it said. Norman being a sensitive type, didn't want to leave that poor little thing by itself crying. So he bent down and he picked it up and immediately began to quiet down, snuggling softly into his chest. <laughs> it said, but not too unhappily. What are you, little thing? Norman said. I'm a little hurt, 
the little hurt replied. I've been left out here all by myself and I've got no one to look after me. Norman, who was a sensitive sort of person, thought that was terrible. Fancy leaving a poor little hurt around all by itself with no one to care for it. He'd always been pretty careful about nursing hurts, but this one seemed so harmless that he just couldn't pass it by. So he picked it up. So he wrapped his coat carefully around it and took it home because he'd already picked it up. That night, he called all his friends and invited them to visit with him. And at the same time, he showed them the little hurt that he'd brought home. Some of them said, oh, look at the poor little thing. Can I stroke it? Does it bite? Norman replied, no. See how gentle it is? When I first picked it up, it snuggled right deep into my chest. It cries a little sometimes, but all I have to do is pay it some attention, feed it, and it settles right down again. It was quite weak when I found it, but it's much stronger now. While some of Norman's friends were very supportive of his decision to nurture his newfound hurt, others were not so encouraging. They said things like, hey, that's a hurt. You should never pick one of them up. They're really dangerous. Once you bring them home, it can take over your life. They grow enormous really quickly. And, and I, if I were you, I would chuck it out now quickly before it gets too big. Norman was very upset that his friends didn't understand how much care and attention this little hurt needed. How could such a tiny thing harm anyone? They obviously had no empathy. He set about fixing some nice warm milk to feed his little hurt and then he tucked it into bed. The next morning, he was surprised to find how well and strong it had become. And in the ensuing days, it grew at an astonishing rate. In fact, when his friends came to visit him at the weekend, they found not a little hurt anymore, but quite a large grudge. Norman soon found that the care and feeding of a grudge, particularly a good one, is not as easy as looking after a little hurt had been. The grudge, instead of being grateful for his attention, had become quite demanding. Now it yelled and screamed and threw things if he wasn't focusing on it. Not only that, but he wouldn't, it wouldn't walk, demanding instead to be carried from place to place, and it was becoming really heavy. Although he welcomed his friends... Norman appeared distracted and less inclined to talk with them than before. He was easily annoyed and often treated their well-intentioned comments with suspicion. As they left, they observed to each other how preoccupied he seemed and they were concerned that he seemed to be spending rather too much time on that grudge. A few weeks passed and his mates were worried. They hadn't seen Norman at all lately. Several of them had rung him and had been surprised at how cool he was to them when he was talking to them. So they decided to go and visit him. Standing outside his house, they could hear loud, angry shouts coming from inside and they had to knock several times before he came to answer the door. Poor Norman. They were shocked at the sight of him. He didn't see him himself. He stood on the doorstep. His hair was all messed up. His clothes didn't look as though they'd been ironed and he seemed very unhappy and also he wasn't welcoming to them at all. In fact, it was clear that he wanted them to go away. Uh, I'm so sorry, 
he said, I can't invite you in. The house isn't really in a good state for visitors and I'm a bit behind. As a matter of fact, I'm too busy to talk right now, if you don't mind. But as he was talking to them, he kept glancing over his shoulder as though he was worried about something behind him. All of a sudden, there was a great shout of rage and a huge figure came thundering up the hall behind Norman, flinging itself powerful arms around his neck. It jumped on his back and with a great roar began to drag him backward into the house. The friends drew back in horror as they watched their old comrade staggering under the weight of this terrible beast. Terrified to ask and dreading the answer, one said, Norman, what is that? Norman strained to look over the top of the great forearm, now wrapped in a stranglehold around his neck, and said, It's the little hurt I found. It's grown into a fence, and I don't seem to be able to deal with it. I was a bit worried when it became a grudge, but I thought I could handle it. But the more I nurtured it, the more care it demanded. And the larger it grew, it was so helpless to begin with. But now, even though I try not to feed it, it consumes everything. I can't go anywhere or do anything without it. I can't eat. I I can't sleep because it mutters to me all night. It's all I ever think about. I have to carry it everywhere. It's destroying my life. And I'm so unhappy. Norman's friends gazed in dismay as Norman, his red face swollen and his eyes bulging from the powerful grip of a fence, was dragged mercifully back into the house and the door was firmly slammed in their faces. On their way home, They tearfully discussed the situation and they wondered what they could do to possibly free Norman from the powerful grip of the dreadful beast that had taken over his life. Their telephone calls weren't answered. They visited him, but the next time they visited him, they found there was a huge brick wall surrounding his house and there were a a powerful iron gate poor Norman offense had imprisoned him completely I told a friend of mine that story and when I'd finished he said oh no we can't leave it there we've got to get him out of there but you know what there's a scripture in Proverbs 18 verse 19 and it says it's harder to make amends with an offended friend than to capture a fortified city because arguments separate friends like a gate locked with iron bars. And that's the truth. Have you ever lost a relationship because you couldn't forgive or because they couldn't? I have. See, we can identify with Norman, who's the prisoner of offence, but we can also identify with the people who try to help but find this barred gate. 
And because offence carries a double damage. It doesn't only affect our relationship with the people that have hurt us, but it also erects these impenetrable barriers around our lives so that we find it harder to trust people and then we find it harder to build relationships. And as a person in ministry, I have spoken with offended people more than more times than I can count. And also, I've been offended many, many times. So I know what it is, up close and personal, to see that there's this rock-like determination to block out people if we don't deal with the fact that we've been offended. In Bible days and in um, Europe and Britain, you know, there's great big castles and people used to often go into those castles and they'd bar themselves in because there was an enemy coming against them. But what would often happen in those situations is that the people on the inside would not be able to get out and they ended up starving to death. Because the gates that we build so often to protect ourselves from being hurt and being wounded and being damaged are the same gates that prevent us from being healed, from being restored, from gaining the forgiveness and gaining the healing of relationship with other people and relationship with God. See, good relationships break down when little hurts get out of control. And it's very, very common. Every one of us has been a prisoner of offence probably a lot of times because a little hurt got out of control. It's very common to become a prisoner of offence over something that began harmlessly. And that was the thing about, about um, Norman. He's just coming home and he just stumbles over this little hurt as he's thinking about his time with his friends. And so the survival techniques that we use to keep from being hurt again, to protect ourselves, often end up becoming our jail. And we'd never get the fullness of the things that God is calling us to and for and the relationships that are expanded because of that. So we see enemies everywhere. We're suspicious of little comments. We read underlying motives into everything that people say. We imagine that people are talking about us, judging us, siding with the people who hurt us. And our walls become stronger and higher. Offence nags all day in our ears and whispers to us all through the night. And we become increasingly afraid of being wounded and hurt. So we build our walls a little taller and a little higher until one day, surprise, surprise, we can't see out anymore. We can't see clearly anymore. We're consumed by our offence. And if we don't work it out, bitterness replaces offence, we get overwhelmed and we lose sight of the people who love us. How do I know that? The same way that you do. Because I've been there and I've done that. And that has happened to me. And I've shut down people's love into my life because I'm afraid because I've been hurt before. I've heard about people who don't go to church anymore because they say, the church hurt me. And I'm just like, well, you've hurt the church by not going anymore. You know, the, we, we're all in it together. So the Greek word for offence is skandalizo. Can I have that um, PowerPoint up, thanks? Skandalizo. It's where we get the word scandal from. But you wouldn't think that what we now call the English word scandal, skandalizo actually means a stumbling block or an offence. 
And so there's this thing, offense is one of life's normalities. You know, Jesus said, offenses will come. But God gives us the perfect means to deal with offense, and that is forgiveness. Forgiveness is actually the only way to deal with offense. So this is the thing. We worship and we pray, and when we're doing that, we're like, God, I just want to be just like you. Lord, I want to be just like you. <clears throat> Maybe if somebody else had sung that, it would come across a little more beautifully. But the point is, we're always telling the Lord we want to be just like him. And what we don't understand is that the quintessential point of why we are all sitting here, the quintessential character of who God is as far as we are concerned, is that he is a forgiver. And the reason that we are sitting here is because we, most of us, I don't know, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your saviour, it's pretty easy to, to find him. But we're sitting here because he's forgiven us. And so therefore, and this is the point, we'd like to do a whole lot of other things that he does, like miracles and, you know, changing water into wine and all sorts of stuff like that. There's a whole lot of things we'd like to be like him with. But actually the very baseline of what he's like is that he is a forgiver. And then he says to us, I am going to give you the power to forgive. He says to us, if you forgive this thing that happens to you, that doesn't mean you say it wasn't actually... It's, a lot of times people don't want to forgive, especially when they're really terrible things that have happened, because it feels like saying it really wasn't that bad at all. No, that's not what forgiveness is about. Forgiveness is about, yes, it was very, very bad. Yes, it nearly destroyed me. But I choose to release that person from that sin. And what that means is, if they're, if they're not a Christian, and they're, they're you know... We're not answerable to God for our sin when we've accepted that Jesus Christ died for us to forgive us. That means we go to heaven clean and clear and pure and righteous and we get to walk right through those gates. But until a person does that and unless a person does that, they are answerable and all those sins are there. They're all, every one of them, they're not blending into one big amorphous mass. There's, they're all there separately. But what it actually means is if I forgive a person and they've got to take responsibility for all the other stuff, that thing that I forgave them for won't even be there. Isn't that phenomenal? Some of us don't want to forgive because we don't want that to happen. We're like, yeah, I'll forgive, but they still got to pay for it. No, but this is the thing about the character of God that he's given us that says, if I forgive and release... They don't have to pay for it, and it doesn't exist in terms of their punishment ever again. Like, that is like God. Like, we want to be like God. That's about as godlike as we could possibly do. When we practice forgiveness, we're using one of God's most, well, maybe in our terms, the most significant characteristic that God has, which is the ability to release another person from their sin. And so when you, when you forgive another person, for anything that they've done to you, and even if they didn't know they did it to you, and even whether they said sorry to you or whether they didn't say sorry to you, you know, you're setting them, you're setting them free in that context, but more importantly, you're setting yourself free because that thing isn't uh, uh, an issue that became ossified and then became concreted and that then you have to carry around in your heart. 
We are free in that particular thing. That thing, if you can imagine all the things that ever been, have ever been done to you and you're carrying them all around on your back, all the times you were wounded, all the times your feelings were hurt, all the times you were overlooked and neglected and rejected and you were carrying them all around on your back or in your heart. So I, I think most of us would be sort of on the ground. And if we were able to forgive those things one at a time... I think after a while, the release of the weight on our lives would cause us to be able to run free, to play, to dance, to, to have joy in our lives. We don't think anything much happens by not forgiving. But truthfully, we become weighed down. We become damaged. You know, medical, um, medical people say that a lot of the sicknesses that we we suffer from can be caused actually by the state of our heart which in our case haven't let things go so if we train ourselves to begin the process of forgiving as soon as we realize we've been hurt it will change your life it will change my life as soon as I know I've been hurt if I begin the process of forgiving sometimes it isn't quick and that's another whole preach but Another problem happens because we don't, we often don't realize that we offended somebody. I mean, I, especially when I was in England, like, I was always offending people just because I'm a straight talker. I had no idea that there was any problem at all. And so, um, you know, and then I, I didn't know about it, like, you know, and we did get away with a lot because they would say, oh, well, they're Australian and they don't know any better. And so there was that, but Rick was English, you know, but then he wasn't doing it. So, so the point of all of that is that sometimes something happens and you don't know that you've offended somebody and they don't tell you, but they do tell everybody else. I mean, that's like pretty bad, like that's... A problem because I'm convinced that 90% of our relationships could be sorted out if we did this. Matthew chapter 18 verse 7 verse 15 it says, if your brother or your sister or your mother or your friend or anybody else sins against you, go and show them their fault just between the two of you. Just go and say, you know what, I found that really hard when you did that. Or don't go and say, I forgive you because you know what you did? No, don't do that. That doesn't work. Just go and say, I just want to talk something through with you. And, you know, maybe it doesn't feel the same from your perspective, but I found it really difficult when you did that or said that or were that. And so um, I found it really difficult. Actually, whoever put the photos up on the C3 page and put my photo up made me look like I was 80. Really, whoever did that, I'm going to forgive you, but you've got to take it off the page first. Okay. It says, if he listens to you, you've won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along. That means get not your best friend who's always on your side. It means take somebody else who's wise. Maybe even a couple of people who you know are wise and who you know are not on your side. They're on the side of right. Take them along and just say, look, could we get together and have some mediation and talk about this? Because that's the way you can sort things out. And do you know what? Mostly... 90% of the time, I think those first two things happen. And the Bible goes on afterwards to say, you know, if that doesn't deal with it, there's other things you can do. But usually that's enough. 
So how amazing if Christians dealt with their offenses by starting a conversation to talk through with the person they're hurt by. It may seem shocking and it may seem very direct, but it would certainly cut out the middleman. It would, it would explain misunderstandings. It would deal with the escalation that comes from everybody else then buying into this person's offense. And you know what? One of the most toxic forms of, of unforgiveness is when we have heard one side of the story and not the other, and we take that person's story as being all there is to it, it becomes toxic. It is an incredibly bad offense. Because the Bible says in Proverbs that there's always, it says, Proverbs 18, 17 says, the first to state their case always sounds right until you hear the other side. And I've been embarrassed sometimes because somebody has told me this story about what somebody else did and I've been up in arms and ready to just deal with that thing. And then somehow or other, the Lord's maybe got through to me enough to be able to go to the other person and say, how does it look from your perspective? And then I'm like, I'm glad I didn't do anything. Well, actually, sometimes back in the day, I did do stuff. And, and, and then I had to go and say sorry because literally taking someone else's offense on without hearing what the other side has to say literally means being offended on behalf of that person and it's a real troublemaker it's a troublemaker in families and in churches in organizations in jobs and schools and wherever you are it's a troublemaker to take third-party offense and make somebody else's offense your offense and it's really really wrong and because even if we do hear both sides of the story, there's always the third part, which maybe only God knows, which is the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And so that's incredibly important. When people are trying to deal with conflict and are talking it through, sometimes things will come up that are really painful. They're going to hurt. But if you can hear the other person through, and if they can hear you through, you're going to learn and grow through it because a forgiving heart is tremendously valuable and nothing clears the decks more effectively than forgiveness. I've got to have a water. Nothing clears the decks more, more effectively. So what that means is getting over it isn't forgiveness. Letting bygones be bygones isn't forgiveness. Self-control isn't forgiveness. Getting your heart right isn't forgiveness. Patience isn't forgiveness. Only forgiveness is forgiveness. You see, the Lord is patient and he is kind. You can see it with the way he deals with our world. He's very patient. But only when we accept his forgiveness are we forgiven. And only when we give our forgiveness is forgiveness given. So if I'm like, well, you know, this is the person I'm married to and so, you know, we'll be okay or this is my best friend and so it'll be okay or this is the person at work that I've got to work with. So, you know, I'm just going to forget about it, you know, just going to forget about it. I'm just going to keep going. Do you know what? All that will do will make everything okay for a little while. But it'll come again and it'll come again and maybe not with that person but with another person and another person. And the thing about unforgiveness and when I say unforgiveness, I don't mean refusing to forgive. I mean choose, I mean not making the choice to forgive. Because sometimes we don't realize it. Sometimes your children, you know, you got, if you've got little kids and one day one of them turns around and says, I hate you, mummy. And it's wounding. 
But we don't even consider thinking in ourselves, I forgive that. We're just like, we're going to get over it. But actually, forgiveness, if we can get in the habit of every time we've got this wound that we forgive, it, it stops the thing building. Because there's inside, it, our characters are being built. They're being built in every part, in the good and in the bad, in the right and in the wrong, in the forgiveness and in the not realizing I have to forgive or not choosing to forgive or saying I shouldn't have to forgive because. Whatever it is that we're doing, every right choice we make builds this strength and courage and wisdom and grace and faith and favor and love in our life. And every choice that we make that is not a good choice also is building a wall and we are going to become like whichever it is that we're building more effectively and more strongly. There's a story about um, a guy who, who said to his... There's a story about a guy who had dog fights, and, um, which is terrible. But he had dog fights, and he, he pretty well always won about which dog would fight when they went round places and they had the dog fights and they'd take the tickets. And, but he pretty well always won on which dog would fight. And somebody said to him, how can you always be so sure which dog's going to win? And he said, the one that I feed is the one that wins. get it? The one that I feed is the one that wins. The forgiveness or the unforgiveness, the rightness or the not rightness. The one that I feed is the one that gets strong and, and makes me into who I am. So all of those things, you don't even have to speak forgiveness out to the person. Sometimes they're gone or sometimes it's too late or sometimes the relationship is so broken you can't go back there or sometimes you'd embarrass them or, or whatever. As long as you do speak it out, Lord, I forgive this. This happened to me and I forgive it. I choose to forgive it. And sometimes it's a battle and it takes a while before you get there. But the truth of it is, it's got to be spoken out between you and God or between you and the person. It's got to be spoken for it to be legitimately not just getting over it or getting through it or getting by it. Matthew 18 verse 21 to 35. Clearly the PowerPoint isn't working, is that it? I am looking at the wrong place. Oh, okay. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Should I forgive as many as seven times? Anybody married here? Did you run out of your seven? <laughs> Got kids? Run out of your seven? Um, should I forgive? And, and Jesus says, not just seven times, but rather as many as 77 times. And really what he means is just keep forgiving, don't count. Uh, therefore, the kingdom of heaven, and this has been something that made a massive difference in my life 40 years ago. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, they bought him a servant who owed him 10,000 bags of gold. Because the servant didn't have enough to pay it back, the master ordered that he should be sold along with his wife and children and everything he had, and that the proceeds should be used as payment. But the servant fell down knelt before him and said, please be patient with me and I'll pay you back. The master had compassion on that servant, released him and didn't say, yes, I'll give you more time to pay me back, but he forgave the loan. So the guy didn't have to pay him back, right? Getting that? Uh, when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 coins he grabbed him around the throat and said, pay me back what you owe me. 
Then his fellow servant fell down and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he threw him into prison until he paid back his debt. When his fellow servants saw what happened, they were deeply offended. They came and told their master all that had happened. His master called the first servant and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you appealed to me. Shouldn't you also have mercy on your fellow servants just as I had mercy on you? His master was furious and handed him over to the guard responsible for punishing prisoners until he had paid the whole debt, which he had no chance of because he's in prison. My heavenly father will also do the same to you if you don't forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, not one of us hasn't hurt other people. Every time I'm hurt, there is an understanding in my life that I do this kind of thing to people probably all the time. I certainly have back in the day. And I know that as I grew up and I became a Christian when I was 22, I was the grudge carrier of, you know, I got the the um, trophy for grudge carrying. I carried deep, abiding, brooding, burning grudges against whoever I decided had hurt my feelings. And a lot of those times it was not, it wasn't even... I'd made that up within myself out of my own rejections and my own insecurities and it wasn't even true. But if I made that, if I put that on them, that became, that became what they were to me and I would shut them out of my life without a, a second glance and never speak to them again. And that was me as, as my normal, that was my normal life. And, and then I became a Christian at 22 and I knew that the Lord forgave me and I began to walk through in that forgiveness. And there came a time when something happened, which really probably wasn't all that bad, but something happened. My sister-in-law did something and I was so angry. I thought, I'm never, ever going to speak to her again. And I was just absolutely furious, and just furious. And the Lord just kept bringing this to me, this particular um, scriptures, set of scriptures just as a picture in my head and I'm like that's not fair Lord because you know what she did and all that sort of thing and you know I just went back to him and he would come back to me and I would go back to him he only came back to me with that story he didn't negotiate with me he didn't argue with me he didn't tell me that he understood where I was coming from he didn't tell me that yes it was true she deserved that I would never forgive her but that still he wanted me to do that because no none of that he just kept bringing that story back and I, I can remember kneeling down next to the bed and it had been about three hours of crying and just being furious and trying to make the Lord understand and kneeling down next to my bed and just saying, the Lord, I forgive her and I release her. And do you know what? That began a change of life for me. From that point on, I began to change and change and change. Now, some of you have been Christians all your life and maybe you didn't struggle with those things at that depth. But every one of us struggles with not forgiving. Every one of us has things in our heart that we just got over or we controlled ourselves about or we tried to just forget or let it go. And the problem is we don't see ourselves as the bad guy. It's a lot easier to make the other person the bad guy because, and this is the entire point, we judge ourselves by our intentions and we judge everybody else by their actions. And so that's just brokenhearted Luke chapter 6 37 and 38 says don't judge and you won't be judged now that doesn't mean don't evaluate because sometimes you've got to look at a situation happening and if you don't personally have your own agenda in it you can look at a situation and you can think to yourself 
that ain't right and somehow that's going to have to get sorted out. So it doesn't mean don't evaluate the situation, but it means don't condemn. Don't condemn and you won't be condemned. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good portion packed down, firmly shaken, overflowing will fall into your lap. And this is the killer. The portion you give will determine the portion that you receive. Not because God doesn't want to fulfill his total forgiveness in our lives, but because to the degree that we cannot acknowledge our own wrong in something is to the degree that it just stays sticking to us. And for me, it, it is frightening, or not now, but it was frightening to know that my freedom, my own personal freedom, is determined by my willingness to give other people their freedom. So my choices determine the measure and freedom a measure of forgiveness and freedom and mercy that I walk in. Not God's choices. He already made the choices. My choices. Every Christian knows they're forgiven by God from their sin, but not every Christian feels free from the guilt and the shame that sin brings. And that's because we're not dealing with those things. And so that shame and that, that brokenness holds on to the inside of us. Until we learn this reciprocal thing where I have been forgiven, I will forgive also. Something happens on the inside of us and the, I can guarantee it because it happened to me. The shame and the bitterness and the brokenness and the vengefulness and the condemnation and the fear and all of those things that gripped me on the inside gradually dissipated, gradually left. Until in the end, I pretty well don't have them now. Because as soon as they come, I'm dealing with it again through forgiveness. And so, unfortunately or ultimately, how we deal with our hurts and offences displays the degree to which we understand Jesus Christ and who he is in our lives. And not only that, but the more I forgive, the easier it gets. So how easily are you offended? Because taking offense is habit-forming, and it's very easy to develop a siege mentality. Life becomes a prison to which fewer and pe fewer people have got entrance and access. And, and human beings are not designed to carry the weight of unforgiveness because it starts with this burning hot coal in our gut, but over time it cools and it hardens and it ossifies. Concretes itself into who we are and it becomes this dead weight on the inside of us that robs us of our peace and robs us of our joy and robs us of, of those things which are a great grace. So unforgiveness hurts the unforgiver much more than the people that didn't get forgiven. So have you noticed, I'm, I'm almost finished, but have you noticed that there are some people who seem impervious to offence? They just don't seem to carry offence. No matter what happens, you know that they're going to forgive. And they, they don't even really seem to be working through it all. They're people who have found this secret, not of not being offended, but of dealing with offence straight away. The answer is in Psalm 119, verse 165. And it says, Great peace have those who love your law, God, and nothing shall offend them. Great peace are those, have those who love your law, Lord, and nothing will offend them. Nothing will cause them to stumble. Remember, scandalizo is a stumbling block. 
the more deeply a person integrates themselves into who God is and the fullness and greatness of everything that he displays, the love, the forgiveness, the joy, the grace, the, all of those things, the more deeply we integrate ourselves into those things, the less easily we are offended and the more quickly we can deal with it when we are offended. And I know for myself, I cannot bear anymore the pressure in my life of the accumulated little hurts and grudges and offences. And I have them. It's not that I don't. They do, I do get offended sometimes. I have been hurt, you know, regularly, just like we all have been. But dealing with them straight away, because I know now what it is not to carry that all around on the inside and be constantly churning it over. So when something like that comes into my heart, I've got an alarm that just goes, meh, 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 deal with that or you'll just revert to what you always were before. And so the more I forgive, the less those things come, but when they come, the less I can bear them. And I lived in that prison for long enough, for the first probably 25 years of my life before I began to understand it didn't have to be that way, that those things were not just my character. They were how I'd allowed other things to shape who I was. And I don't want to find myself in that prison again. I love being free. I enjoy being free. I'm one of the freest people I know. And it's because of that. It's because of not holding. And so, if, you know, if you're not really good at, at forgiving, practice makes perfect. You'll get good at it. The more you do it, the better you'll get at it, the quicker it'll be. Because forgiveness brings freedom. And it unties us from the pain of the things that happen to us. And sometimes we need to forgive ourselves. And that, some, that can be pretty hard because we, because we know God forgives us, but for whatever reason, we don't forgive ourselves. And what that means is that thing back there that happened to that guy that got forgiven from the 10,000 bags of gold, the reason that he didn't forgive the other guy with the 100 pieces of gold was because even though the king had let him off, he hadn't let himself off. If you haven't let yourself off, you won't let other people off either. And so that's, that's, in, that's why it's incredibly important. The king wasn't throwing him, like we see that the king wasn't throwing him to the, to the prisoners and to be tortured by the king, but just by the fact that we carry those things. We carry them still. So there's one more thing that I want to say to you. And I... I I want this is a really important thing. I've talked a lot about forgiveness and 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 it's just a powerful, powerful thing. But if you're sitting here and you are not somebody who has ever experienced what it is to be freed from sin because of what Jesus Christ did for you, the fact that he went to the cross as a perfect person and he died on the cross as a perfect person carrying all our sin, including yours. If you've never experienced that, I want to tell you, you are missing out because God has done the most powerful thing by setting each one of us free from our sin that we don't have to pay the penalty anymore. And so I would like to invite you to that. And I'd like everybody to close their eyes um, and and just to to... Allow yourself to think what it could be 
to receive forgiveness from sin, to what it could be to be set free altogether. If you, you know, the only way to freedom is to clear away the junk. And when Jesus Christ died, he cleared it all away on your behalf. So if there's anybody here who's like, yep, I've been standing on the edge for a while, or actually this is the first time I ever saw it like that, and you think, yes, I'd like to receive Jesus Christ as my Saviour and know that all the junk that I've done and has been done to me is just gone, I'd like you to put your hand up. I'd like you to just slip your hand up and just say, yep, that's me. And you don't have to come out the front. Somebody will come and talk to you afterwards and just have a chat with you about what it is that Jesus can do for you, what it is to have him walk you into his kingdom free and clear. Is there anybody here that that feels that way, that, yep, I'd like to receive Jesus as my saviour? If so, just put your hand up. Just slip your hand up and we'll, we'll just go from, we'll take it from there. And the other thing is, if you're somebody that is um, just gets stuck sometimes on the whole forgiveness thing, well, we're happy to pray for you. One thing that's important to say is, nobody can do your forgiving for you. And having somebody pray for you, that may be really helpful to, for you to make that decision that you're going to forgive. But it won't do the forgiving. It's only you that can do the forgiving. So if you'd like prayer for that as well, please um, please feel free to come ahead. We're going to stand up. We're going to sing now. Um, but if either of those two things relate with you, then I think it's really a really good time to have somebody stand with you and have you receive breakthrough in those areas. Father, we pray together. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here who doesn't know your forgiving power, that they will learn how totally gracious and loving you are. Lord God, that this will be the day that that person steps over the line and into your kingdom. And Lord, for the rest of us, that we would get revelation on what it is to be living forgiving, that forgiving would be our natural default that we can learn to do that even now so that we can walk in freedom. In Jesus' name, amen.